0: Hi, this is Steve Cuton, and I encourage everyone out there to listen to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone
1: has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Ray Negron, who I call Mr. New York Yankee. Ray has been affiliated with the Yankees for decades. He's known as the franchise's number one ambassador and historian. His backstory is crazy. When he was 16 years old, he was caught spray painting, the walls of the old Yankee Stadium by none other than George Steinbrenner, the boss, the new owner at that time of the team. But instead of having him arrested, the boss put him to work in the stadium clubhouse, and he became a bat boy. As time went on, he became Reggie Jackson's personal assistant and manager Billy Martin's confidant. Today, He's a special advisor to the Steinbrenner family. He's even had a play developed about him. My featured song in this episode is New York City Groove, a song that I wrote about my hometown. Why did I choose this song? Well, Ray and I are both New York City boys, and I thought it fit perfectly. So Ray Negron, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast.
0: Well, the the name is appropriate. Number one, I'm a big Elvis Presley fan. So, you know, I loved his song, Follow That Dream. And uh, it's it's a pleasure to be on with you.
1: Hey, man. So tell me about this. You grew up in the Bronx, am I right?
0: I was born, basically raised in the Bronx, but I lived in every borough. We were, we were like gypsies. I was born in the Bronx. And then from the Bronx, we moved to Manhattan, from Manhattan to Brooklyn, to Brooklyn, to Queens. And, uh, my, my life essentially started from the standpoint of the whole Yankee thing. I, w- I was living in Queens and, uh, I, I used to live in a place, in a place called Springfield gardens. Of course I know it. Cause I grew up in Queens myself. Where in Queens did you live?
1: We got two Queens boys talking to each other on this podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> I right. grew up in uh, Eastern Queens, Bellrose, Floral Park, right near the city line, right near where Whitey Ford used to live.
0: Oh, you you live with the rich guys? <laughs> <laughs> not quite, not quite. <laughs> yeah, no, because I was more of the Springfield Gardens, more like Jamaica, right, et cetera. You know, uh, a lot of the brothers hang out there and you know live there, and so that's just, it. It was it was a uh, it was tough tough area. Every time we moved, every time we moved, it was because my parents were trying to get us to a, a, a what they thought would be a safer area for us to grow up. The Bronx was tough, so we moved to Manhattan. Then in Manhattan, we lived uh, down in the Lower East Side, and uh, we, we had to deal with a lot of the gangs there, too. you know. And then from there, we went to Brooklyn. We had to deal with the gangs there, too. And then finally we went to Queens and it wasn't as bad, but then I needed to go hang out with the gangs. So I used to go into the Bronx every day. You know, when I was supposed to be going to school, I'm getting on the subway and going back to to the Bronx and and hanging with my cousins, brothers, friends. And I just like I, I at that time, I dug the action of the Bronx and what it was all about. Now,
1: were you into baseball at that time or did that come later?
0: Luckily, I got into baseball because one night when I was supposed to be sleeping, uh, I was watching what they what they called at that time, the late show. And the late show wasn't, uh, you know, Letterman and all that stuff. The late show was a movie at that time. That's how old I am.
1: Now, wait a minute. I want to stop you. Do you remember with The Late Show? This is for all of us old guys. They used to have the screen with like an apartment building and lights. And then the lights would go off one by one.
0: Yeah. That's it. That
1: was The Now, let me ask
0: you. You're good. If you can name me the name of that song.
1: Oh, boy. You got me on that one. I don't remember it. I believe it was called The Sophisticated Clock. Right. Okay. okay. You get two points for that one. I like that one. I'm going to have to ask somebody else about that. But that was The Late Show. That's what we grew up with as The Late Show. I remember that.
0: That's what we grew up with, yeah. And and it would start at 1130, and my mother was screaming, get to bed, get <laughs> to bed. I said, okay. And luckily, I had this little black and white TV set, and I quietly put it on one night, when she was screaming at me. And what came on, I think I was nine then, and what came on was The Pride of the Yankees. And when I saw that movie, and I was crying, and I fell in love with Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth, and to see them, the thing that caught me about that was how they, they were there for the kids. Yep. How uh, they were, the, the great, the wonderful hospital scene. Whereas Babe Ruth and Lou Garrick promised home runs to that little boy who couldn't walk. Right. And years later, the little boy would be work, waiting for Lou Garrick outside Yankee Stadium just before he gave his, his farewell speech. And the little boy said, you said that, if I, I, that I can do anything if I try hard enough. And look, Mr. Garrick, I can walk. And uh, I still get emotional. You know, what I'm saying you know, that was a real Hollywood kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you.
1: It kind of it, it became part of kind of Yankees lore. OK, yes. Now, I grew up in Queens. Like I said, there was no such thing as the New York Mets when I was growing up. I mean, it was the Yankees and the Yankees became part of your DNA. That was it. You know, I grew up during Mickey Mantle's era. Was that your era as well? Yeah, that was that was my first hero. He's everybody's first hero if he grew up in New York City. I mean, we didn't right. know anything about him personally, but as a as a ball player. And, of course, they used to have a show on, you'll remember this too, called Home Run Derby. Sure. Where they would put, you know, two guys against each other. They'd lob the ball in. They'd see how many home runs they would hit. And I remember watching Mickey Mantle against Willie Mays on that.
0: I was just going to say that, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But think about what it was like growing up in in the New York City area in the early '60s. You had basically three teams that were around. Okay, you had the Yankees, the Giants. They left, of course. So did the Dodgers. But you know, those three teams kind of caught up the entire city. There were there were people in each borough that were rabid fans of one or both, or that were all three of
0: them. No, it was it was, it was I with me the memory is just Yankees and Mets. But the Yankees was number one because of the Mick, okay. And uh, I remember going to my very first game that we could afford to go to a game was in 1967, and uh, and and Mickey Mantle hit two home runs. Unbelievable! You know what I'm saying? I remember that. And as we were as we were walking out of the park, uh, because of the transistor radios. Uh, I remember Phil Phil Rizzuto saying, and the final score is Minnesota three and Mickey Mantle two. (laughs) Uh, And I thought that was fabulous.
1: My first Yankee game, I think, was a little bit earlier than that, because I definitely remember going during the 61 season, which was, you know, that unbelievable race between Mantle and Maris. And uh, I even have a couple of the programs that I kind of saved from that time. And the thing that I remember, and I tell this to to my grandkids, do you remember how much a hot dog cost at that time?
0: I don't remember because whenever I went to the park, we never were we were never able to buy hot dogs <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> well th- th- it was fifteen cents, okay? I mean, wow. fifteen cents for a hot dog at that time. Now it's about fifteen dollars for a hot dog. It's unbelievable, Wow. Anyway, the Yankees back then, you know, they were the team. So let me go back to your story, okay? If if I understand this correctly, you were like a juvenile delinquent. You were spray painting the old Yankee Stadium, and you got caught.
0: Tell us that story. We were, me me and and about four guys uh, had gotten to the stadium early. And we used to go to the stadium, and again, the affordability we just didn't have it per se you know and especially with me it it was if i didn't sneak into the train then i had to pay for the token right okay and so by the time i got to the stadium there was nothing left and it was a question of how i was going to get home that night you know and so uh so anyway my thing was to go to the stadium and we would play in the park right across the street from the stadium. Remember, they had a basketball court, handball court, yep. baseball field. So we would scatter all, all through that. I it was you know we were having the time of our lives per se. And then we would like to watch the players come in. You know, what I'm saying? remember the parking lot where it was, right? And then you the see players coming through the walk gate across the street. Yep. You know that kind of stuff. They would put the barricades up on the sides. You know, and. Uh, and it was just to watch the guys, just to see them, just to see the human element that these, these guys were real. You know, like, I didn't even I didn't even ask for an autograph. I just wanted to see them. And every once in a while you shook hands, you know, and it was and it was like the coolest. For me, it was like the coolest thing in the world.
1: Did the guys actually, you know, acknowledge you as a kid standing there? Were, were they
0: friendly towards you? Ninety uh, percent of the time. That's so nice. You Ninety know, percent
1: as a kid growing up, there's no greater hero than an athlete or and particularly a, a baseball player. And right. sometimes you hear stories about guys that, you know, were were abrupt or even nasty towards kids, and that always bothered me. But there are many stories of guys that bent over backwards
0: to be nice to the kids. I only like to uh think about the good guys, you know what right. I'm saying? And, 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 and Bobby Mercer was wonderful. You know, I, I, I love Thurman because Thurman could be gruffy, r- you know, but you, could, you, you didn't know what you was going to get, depending on, how, on the situation. But generally speaking, he was really cool. Thurman was very, very good to us. Terrific. You know what I'm
1: saying? Go back, though. I want to get the transition here. I want to hear about that story with you and Steinbrenner, because that's an amazing story.
0: So what happened was one day we're out there and uh, we decided that we're going to do it, it was 1973. So at the end of the year, they were going to be knocking down Yankee Stadium and redoing it, you know, uh, renovating the park. So my thing was. We were doing graffiti outside the park one day, one of the guys like dared me like really hard that I had to do it, you know, or if not, I was what, you know. You know, as they were called the, uh, if I didn't do it, I was a, as, and it was the, what you would call a woman's part. Right. Okay. And, they, were ins- uh, they
1: were insulting you. Let's leave it at that.
0: Okay. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, I, did, I didn't like to be called that. And so in turn, I said, give me the can. And I started doing an NY, believe it or not. And uh, as I was doing that, all of a sudden a car comes right on the sidewalk. And two guys jump out and we all scatter like crazy. And in the process of running, I, I, I flip over one of the guys. And so I'm the one that's caught. And uh, when I'm caught, they, they grab me and they take me to the holding cell right inside the stadium. And it was like the uh, an extension to the 44 precinct. <laughs> and uh, and while there. And while there, one of the guys says, one of the security, the security guy that was, was with this other guy said, this is where they belong. There's nothing you can do with these people anyway. Uh. And so when that happened, it was like all of a sudden the guy goes, give me the kid, give me the kid. And so they grabbed me. And where are we going? What, what's happening here? And they, they dragged me down the hall about probably 100 feet. And then they started knocking on this big, like, metal door. And all of a sudden, this guy that I had seen on magazines before, Pete Sheehy, he was From the Yankees' outside. equipment. Yeah. yeah. He uh, he opens the door. And the two guys uh, haul me in. And next thing you know, they're talking, this and that. And they're saying, give him a uniform. He's going to work off damages. And then the guy turned to me and he says... Hey listen you have you have uh, two options. You're going you're going to go to the can or you're going to be our bad boy tonight and and work off your damages. So I was dumb but I wasn't that dumb. <laughs> Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crack Jack I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame
1: because it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game.
0: So they gave me the uniform. Uh, the guy explained to me what was going on, uh, meaning Pete Sheehy. And then he says, you know who that guy was, right? And I say, no, because like I said, it's 1973 right and i say no he says that's george steinbrenner he's the owner of the new york he's the new owner of the new york yankees you know and that was like 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 it like it was like the lone ranger you know, <laughs> you know? and so it wasn't until after the game like they they told me what to do what i would be doing i picked up towels i hooked inside the clubhouse all that stuff Then outside I went there uh, during batting practice. I helped out and then I put on the uniform for the game. And then I was on the right field line. I was uh, at that, that game. I was the ball boy down right field line. And then after the game was over, I went back to the locker room and helped out with the towels again and all that. And then I went by my locker. They gave me a locker to, to change. And I, while I was there, Steinbrenner came back. And then he says, did you enjoy your job today? And I said, uh, I I loved it. And then he said, uh, you want to keep the job? And I said, I would love to keep the job. And then he says, you know, those guys that were with you today? He says, yes. I thought he was going to ask who they were, give me their addresses, all that stuff. He said, I don't want to know who they are. I just want you to tell them that to keep their hands off a of Yankee Stadium. I don't care where they do it in the Bronx, but they don't do it in my park. And uh, and I did, and the guys it kept hands off. The stadium wasn't marked again the rest of that year.
1: What an incredible story! Because you know, just like you were saying, Thurman Munson had kind of a gruff reputation. Well, so did the boss. You know, they mm-hmm. made fun of him for years that he had this tough, tough guy kind of persona, and yet
0: look how how charitable he was towards you.
1: He didn't have to do that.
0: No, no. But, you know, and it was the aspect of that security guard that was with him when he made that statement. Hey, I've, I've always said all these years, the guy that did the best favor for me in my whole life was that security guard by saying that. Because that's what sparked Mr. Steinbrenner into doing something for me. And he wanted to prove to that guy that he was wrong. So interesting.
1: Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. All right. What a way to start your career with the New York Yankees. I mean, that's an amazing story. Tell us how it evolved from there, because you've been with the Yankees for, for a long
0: time, haven't you? I've been with the Yankees for parts of 48 years. Okay.
1: Well, you haven't been the bat boy for 48 years. So
0: tell no, us, no, 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 tell now I'm us how it evolved. <laughs> now I'm Batman. I'm not bat boy. But, oh, uh, sure. you know, I and I always say to this To this day, I always say the greatest and I've done a lot of different things in my life. And I say the greatest job that I have ever had was being the bat boy for the New York Yankees.
2: We have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what, uh-huh. out, uh-huh.
0: that's what I want to find out, the guy's name. And that's what I want to find out, the guy's name? I'm telling you, who's
2: on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Now, Abby, you want
0: to be the manager of the baseball team? Yes. You know the guy's
2: names? Well, I should. Well,
0: you tell me the guy's names on the baseball I team. I say who's
2: on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You ain't saying nothing to me yet. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> I'm telling him. You ain't said nothing yet. Go ahead and tell me. Who's on first, what's on second, I don't know is on third.
0: You know the guy's I'll... names on the baseball yes. team? Well, go ahead. Who's on first? Yes. I mean the guy's name. Who? The guy first. Who? The guy first base who the guy on first base <laughs> who is on first what are you asking me for I don't know now, wait a minute, I'm, not I'm asking the... you who's on first that's me well go ahead and tell me who the guy on first that's it <laughs> and uh as you said how did it evolve where did it go because well in essence two years after being a bad boy I was ended I ended up getting drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Pirates and a lot of people forget that that I actually played pro ball Wow. You know, uh, and a lot of that had to do with I took every advantage while I was the bad boy, you know. And, and let me just say this. My very first game, like all the players were watching what was going on, laughing, all that. Ron Bloomberg was wonderful because he was the first guy. He's the guy that broke the ice. He came over to me. First off, when they had me in there and I was putting on my uniform, he started he started screaming in the clubhouse. Hey, guys, we got one of the neighborhood guys in here. Watch your equipment. He's going to steal everything, (laughs) you know, and, and, you know, messing around, you know. And Uh then everybody started laughing and all that. And then he came over and he actually offered me a bagel because he had a bag of bagels. They used to bring bring him bagels every day. Right. And he offered me a bagel and, and he became my friend and we became, that was the very first player that became my friend on the Yankees was Ron Bloomberg. And uh, when the, uh, before the game started, I was in the dugout and Bobby Mercer came over and Bobby Mercer says, uh, where do they have you? And I said, down the right field line. He said, okay, good. Take your, take your stool and put it there right now and come back to me. So then I took the stool and I did just what he said. I put it down where it belonged. And then I came back into the dugout and he says, OK, listen, look at the uh, in a in a couple of minutes. The organist is going to play. Here come the Yankees. Here come the Yankees. Let's get behind the chiller. Yankees, they're going to learn. We run out, run out with me. And uh, so the this the orc Eddie Layton was the organist. Eddie Layton, right? And he started playing da 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 da, da. Bottom like, come on, let's go! <laughs> and we everybody ran, and I ran out to my position. All right, you I want
1: to know one thing: Did Bob Shepard announce you? No. <laughs> no, no. Bob Shepard was the announcer for the Yankees for a yes. hundred years. He had yes. one of those great voices. In fact, there's a wonderful story. I'm sure you know this, but for the audience, when uh, Derek Jeter yes. was playing uh, and Bob Shepard, you know, he was must have been close to a hundred at that time. I think he retired. Well, Jeter made sure that his announcement, Shepard's announcement of Jeter coming to the plate was what was played every time that Jeter came to bat. Ladies and gentlemen, to introduce our next batter, we turn to the voice of legendary New York Yankee public address announcer, Bob Shepard, who passed away this now batting, weekend at the age of 99. Now
2: batting for the American League from the New York Yankees, the shortstop, number two, Derek Jeter.
1: number two.
0: And that's how Derek Jeter will walk to the plate the rest of his time as a Yankee. Well, I, I got one even better than that. I got into after uh, after baseball, when I played, I got really when I, when I got released. Uh, well, let me put it this way. When I proved to America that I wasn't a good hitter, <laughs> I, I went back to the Yankees and uh, I did all different all different jobs to Steinbrenner. You know, uh, and um, and through the years, I, I, I worked in movies. You know, I probably have done over a dozen films. Uh, so half of my life has been in the film business. These
1: were not baseball movies necessarily.
0: No, uh, uh, some were, a, a couple were. I did a, a movie called, uh, this, I did a movie called The Slugger's Wife. Well, I did a a, a movie called uh, Blue Skies Again.
1: You did some baseball movies, but you did yeah, many other movies too. Yeah, I did some baseball
0: too. films. Uh, I actually did the movie uh, The Joe Torre Story. Okay. You know, uh, but I also did films. Uh, I did uh, Beach Street. I did the film called The Cotton Club with Richard Gere and, uh, you know, films like that. And then I, I, I got into producing. And I produced uh, two movies. One was an animated film. And in that animated film, uh, I had it was about the Yankees. And it was about a little boy who had cancer and how the Yankees helped him. And so in essence, in that film, I got Bob Shepard, who had already been retired and was actually sick. He was in bed, but he wanted to do the voiceovers of of himself i was gonna get like an a a guy imitate bob Shepard, and then when bob yeah when bob shepherd found out he says come to my house i'll do it from my bed unbelievable and he did it from his bed he made all the announcement of all the players could you imagine no, I mean, uh, that's something.
1: He had one of those wonderful voices. It was a stentorian kind of voice. It just yes. sounded like the voice of God. And, uh, it, you know, that's the one thing that I remember as a kid going to the Yankee games was hearing him do all those announcements. It was it just stuck with you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. I want to fast forward a little bit because you got this Reggie Jackson story that I just think is wonderful. So tell us about that, the World Series story.
0: So we were talking 1977 and reggie had come to the yankees he had been fighting with billy martin all year you know all, all these variables it was a it was a very difficult first season with the new york yankees you know remember he got into the fight in the in the dugout with with billy yeah the
1: straw that stirs the
0: drink he right? was the straw that stirs the drink and thurman munson can only stir it bad that was the <laughs> That was the part that that really bothered Billy because he loved Thurman so much, and 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 remember, Thurman Munson was the guy who talked George Steinbrenner into uh, into signing uh, Reggie Jackson. Every Billy wanted Joe Rudy, okay, and Gabe Paul, the general manager, wanted Joe Rudy, and George Steinbrenner was thinking about putting as he would say, fannies in the seats, cha-ching. That's what he was thinking about. And so then, uh, so it was two to one. And then when Thurman said, boss, he said, we got to sign the big guy from Oakland. He said, that's the guy that's going to get us to the top.
1: You know, the, fu- the funny thing is when you look back on that deal, now that was around, it was the mid seventies or the maybe the later seventies. I mean, the the entire signing package was not even what they pay the utility guys today. Exactly, exactly.
0: Geo or Shella makes more money than Reggie did then, right? But it was it was big. It was so but it big. It was big. Yeah, it it was big. It was so big that you know, like one time, uh, I used to go on the roads uh, on specified trips, on certain trips. And so I'll never forget. Reggie Jackson says, hey, are you going to Boston on this trip? And I said, I'm not scheduled to. So he says, come up anyway." I said, no, nah, I can't afford to go up there. No, I'll, I'll pay for it. And then I said, no, no, that's too much money. He says, Ray, I make him. Uh, I make a million dollars a year. What are you worried about? <laughs> right. You know, and when he said that, that was like, <gasps> wow, you know, that was I'm um, like unbelievable. Only movie stars make a million dollars a year. That's right. Okay. So, so you go, go back. So,
1: Thurman says, bring Reggie in. We got to get the big
0: guy so the boss right. decides he's going to sign him. And he did. And, and, and then, you know, then Reggie made that statement. And all Billy could think about was, man, that guy, meaning Thurman, that guy fought for him. And this is how he thanks him. You know, that was, that yeah. was the feeling. And so, Billy, Billy couldn't. Billy couldn't get over that, and Billy, you know, I, I, Billy was like a father to me. Okay, a father, but the way he handled the Billy, the Reggie thing, wasn't the greatest. You know, the way he handled it, and that thing up in Boston, and the way he took him out of the game like that.
1: You know, they had a very famous argument, if I remember, uh, in the dugout. Right? Was that the oh, Boston thing you're talking yes. about?
0: Yes. You know, you know, he uh, there was a fly ball, the right field. And what happened was because I was right there, I was actually sitting next to Billy in the dugout. And, and so what happened, there was a fly ball, to right field. Reggie really didn't see it, you know, and but but Billy right away took it like he was loafing on the ball. Yeah. So he immediately said, Blair, right field. I said, oh, no. <laughs> and I ran to the other end of the dugout because I knew what was going to happen. And so when you see Reggie coming in and he's taking off his glasses, I said, oops. Because, you know, that means what it, that means it's on. OK, yep. he's taking off his glasses because he knows Billy might start swinging quick. OK. And uh, so when he got in, immediately the, the cursing started. It all started. And and Billy just had it. He went after him. Thank God, Yogi and Elston Howard and J- uh, Jimmy Wynn were like really holding these guys back. He was holding Billy back. Reggie never made a move. Billy made the move. He wanted he wanted to uh, kill him right there. You know. I remember that
1: vividly because yeah. was, it was so unusual back then to see something like that. But you know that again, Billy Martin had that reputation as a hothead, whether it was earned or not. And I remember when he took Reggie out, the sparks were flying.
0: Oh, forget about it.
1: But go back to the World Series. This is a great story. I wanted so, I want you anyway, to. Anyway, we story.
0: we finished up the season. Uh by by the time we got into September, Dermon and Reggie had become good friends. Okay. And uh Billy decided to lay off, et cetera, what have you. We get it to the World Series, and uh Reggie hits a home run his first time up. I go up to Reggie. I said, Reggie, take a curtain call. Absolutely not. So I laid back because his conviction how he said it. Now so this, he is, to, this is the World Series. and This is playing. game six of the 1977 World Series. And what was the score in games? Do you remember? The, right, right now, uh, it, was, uh, it was three games to two Yankees. Right. So it's the sixth game. Reggie Jackson. We're back in New York from L.A. He had just hit a, uh, his last time up in L.A. Uh, he had a home run on the first pitch. OK, and so then uh, we came back to New York. He had an incredible batting practice that day. He must have hit 40 out of 45 balls off of the back wall of the bleachers. I never saw a batting practice like that. Not even McGuire, Sosa, all that stuff. What Reggie did that day was like un- he was like in another zone. When we drove in from his apartment to the stadium, he was like in a zone. It was like God had taken over him, and he had, he had no control, no nothing. We get to the ballpark, he puts on his uniform very carefully. Then he went and made one call. He picked up the phone. He called Gene Michael. He says, "Anything I need to know?" And he said, "They're going to be pitching you in, uh, in and tight." He says, "Okay." And which meant that he was going to cheat a little bit and take one step out. If you watch his at bat, you see the one foot out a little bit. And so then he went out, took batting practice, the, mo- the greatest batting practice I've ever seen. First time up, he walked. Second time up, lined vicious line drive to right field home run. Makes Comes back into the dugout. Reggie, take a curtain call. No way okay second time up even harder line drive i said oh my god i hope that doesn't hit anybody <laughs> okay i mean just a vicious like you you could hear it goes that's how hard he hit it okay and it was low i was hoping that it was going to stay high enough to clear the wall you know what i'm saying that ball no more than 25 feet off the ground Wow, you know i mean just vicious and, and and the way it tailed, the way it tailed into the stands, and so I went up to him. I said, "Reggie, come on, take a curtain call now. They're going crazy." No, I'm not going to do it. And I said to him, "If you hit a third, you will, right?" And he goes, "You're crazy, but I'll do it." Third time up, Charlie Huff, knuckleball, first pitch, center field bleachers. Boy, I
1: remember that one like it was yesterday. It went right. into the it went into the black seats. Right. Okay, where you know, where there's no nobody the sitting there. It's just right the black. into the black. And uh, the place went
0: wild. Went nuts. Went nuts. And so everybody's hugging I'm hugging him, hugging them. And you could look at the uh, the videos. You see me going in to him the first time. I give him a hug, I walk away. The camera stays on me, and then all of a sudden I go. Like you see me open my mouth because I'm going, oh, yeah, the the curtain call. I turn around. I go back to Reggie. You see me grab him like Willie Randall was hugging him. I push Willie away. You see me push (laughs) Willie away. And I grab Reggie and I go right to his ear and I said, Reggie, curtain call. You promised. You promised. So he looks straight, looks at me, runs out, takes the curtain call. Right.
1: One of the most famous curtain calls in all of sports, I might add.
0: Okay? I say the most famous, okay? And, uh, and you know what? And to, to his credit, like when he was at, uh, uh, when he was honored on, at several different functions, he says, I didn't want to take the curtain call that night, but Ray Nagrone made me.
2: Reggie Jackson has seen two pitches in the strike
1: zone tonight, two, and he's going them both in the seat.
2: He's to Oh, what a beam on his face. How can you claim him? He's answered the whole world. Reggie Jackson's last at bat probably in the 1977 series. What a colossal blow. And that was a monster in itself. 475 feet probably. Look at that. Look at Torres. You don't think they know it?
1: Well, you know, look, he got the reputation, the nickname Mr. October, and it really came from that game.
0: I mean, think about it. You know who gave him that name, right? Go ahead. I think I'm going to hear who did it. We're we're packing his stuff after the game. We're packing his stuff, and uh, as we're packing everything, Thurman is walking by, and he looks at him, and sarcastically, but with pride, he says, you really put on a hell of a show tonight, Mr. October. And, and Reggie looked at him. He goes, wow, that's a great name. I think I'm going to keep it. <laughs> See, that, and, I just and learned something. Said, don't say I never gave you anything. And that stayed with him. Like you said.
1: Thurman Munson gave him that nickname. That's great. Ray, it's been fascinating talking to you. We could go on for hours, I mean, because you just got more stories than unbel- and they're unbelievable. But tell us a little bit, aside from the history here, I know that you're doing some things currently on the internet, on YouTube and the like. Tell us a
0: little bit about what ne- Ray Negron is doing these days. Well, right now we're working on a documentary on my life. And uh, it, they've, been, they've been following me around for probably four months. And uh, it's been, you know, it, it, it's been fun because I get to to wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly and spiritually thank all the people that have helped give me a life, especially Mr. Steinbrenner, you know, and uh, the fatherhood that I had with Billy Martin when I needed it, you know, when I wanted to give up, when I wanted to die. When I, didn't want to be, when I didn't want to be my color, and Billy Martin literally one day slapped me. And two days later, you know, I'm sitting at Patsy's restaurant with Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and Billy Martin. And being scolded by, by Mr. Sinatra about never, ever not be proud of my heritage and who I am. You know what I'm saying. And um, to this day, on the second floor at Patsy's, they keep a portrait of that meeting. We call it the Second Summit <laughs> Great stories, Great stories.
1: Okay, we've been talking here with Ray Negron, who has been a lifetime New York Yankee, and we've got all these great stories with George Steinbrenner and Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson. Ray, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been just fantastic to relive all of this with you.
0: Well, I I, I thank you. And let me, I'm going to add one last thing. I have to, I have to thank Randy Levine. I always have to thank Randy Levine because when the boss died, I was wondering what was going to happen to me selfishly. You understand? I was scared. Number one, I, I, I lost one of my greatest friends ever in George Steinbrenner. And every and the aspect that I witnessed, not just the baseball things that he did, but the great things that he did in life. He was my he was my ultimate teacher. He was the man who when when he would be hanging around with all his scholarly friends and I would be looking to the ground because I was embarrassed. And he would say, put your head up, put your head up, young man, because you went to the greatest university of them all. And I would say, what are you talking about? He said, Ray you graduated from the university of steinbrenner you know and randy levine to this day has protected me and uh has maintained the same teachings that george steinbrenner brought to the yankees fantastic stories
1: thank you so much ray for being on the podcast and uh now we're going to listen again to the song that I started off playing underneath the introduction. It's my song called New York City Groove. And I want to thank you all for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at com. And you can hear more from his band at ProjectGrandSlam.com and at the PGSStore.com.